welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. I've got a special guest on the show today. Some of you, if you've been listening to the Bean Ninjas podcast for a while, you might recall our origin story. And the business model for Beanages was inspired by WP Curve, which was started by a guy called Dan Norris and also run with by his co-founder, Alex McClafferty. And when we were thinking about starting Beanages, one of our inspirations was Dan and WP Curve. And Dan Norris is also the author of the seven-day startup book, which was the method that we used to launch Beanages. So on today's podcast, we've got Dan Norris here to chat all things business. He's done a ton of podcast interviews. So this interview isn't so much about his backstory or WP Curve. It's about what he's up to now, which is running a brewery. And even though we share an office, the Bean Ninjas team share an office with Dan above the brewery in Burley Heads. But I've been really curious about what it's like running a bricks and mortar business like a brewery compared to his other businesses like WP Curve. We have a, a really interesting chat. Dan's always fun to talk to. And as usual, he, he shares great insights around the comparisons between the different businesses and then some of the things that he's been learning as he's been growing the brewery. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dan, great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's funny. I think we were sitting here a couple of years ago in this same room with the same setup, but you were interviewing me on your seven-day startup podcast. Yeah, that sounds right. I did a few of those episodes. It was fun. And now it's funny. It's been, yeah, a couple of years and we're back, same room, but now I'm interviewing you, although I must say you did help me with the tech setup <laughs> before we got started. Yeah. I normally do interviews remotely, but it's, it's great actually sitting in the same room. Yeah, I think the in-person ones are good because you can just kind of talk normally and not like have an awkward wait between questions and be like, wait, do they not hear me? And then ask it again. And they're always better, I reckon, if you can do it. Mm. So can you tell me a little bit about Black Ops and, and where you're at now, maybe the scale of the business, revenue or team size? And Yeah. So the scale. So we're probably going to do about 450 grand this month. So that's kind of the size the business is at. A lot of that is excise. So it's, it's, it's a different business than other businesses I've been in. Like it's an expensive product. It's complicated to make. It requires a lot of people. It requires a huge amount of money, a lot of equipment. So it kind of has to be a big business. It either has to be like a really nice local sort of place or it has to be big. There's kind of nothing in between. So that feels pretty big at the moment, but really we have to be a lot bigger than that before it's really going to get to where we want it to get to. But yeah, so we've got 21 full-time people. All the three founders are full-time and have been for probably two years. And I think maybe 10 casuals. And then over summer, this, this is coming up to summer, so this will be our busy period. We'll probably hire four or five more casuals. We're, we're hiring more production people. And yeah, we're probably 20 to 30, I guess, FTE staff over the summer period. And how did you decide to, you gave those two options of being a, a nice local business or something much bigger? Was it just natural for you to want to grow something yeah, bigger? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I was never really... Well, actually, the, the backstory was Eddie originally wanted to start a bar and I was, he was working in government. I was working on my own businesses with WP Curve and the rest of it. And 
we were mates, we were talking about it, but I just, it just wasn't something I was interested in. It was like, yeah, it's kind of something you do when you're 21 and then you fail when you're 22 and you're like, oh, that's a shit idea. Let's go back to corporate life. But I was already 30. I already had a business. It was like, yeah, it, it wasn't that exciting to me. But then when the idea of doing a brewery came up, I thought, well, at least with that, I could use some of my, you know, like I'm interested in growing businesses, not just creating them. So with a brewery, it can kind of grow as big as we want it to grow. There's breweries in Australia doing more than $100 million that are small craft breweries that have started in, in the last 10 or so years. So it's a big opportunity. So th- that was interesting to me. Doing something small here was kind of fun. But then once, once I realized it could actually be like my full-time business and be like a decent growing thing, that, that was always interesting to me. I think Eddie and Guz were the same though. I don't think they wanted to really start a small brew pub. It was always like, let's see how far we can take this. And so I think at the beginning you weren't working full-time in yeah, Black Ops. Yeah, I wasn't really working at all. I would like to, when it started, I was pretty much just doing my, my other businesses and just doing like the occasional blog post for Black Ops and helped a little bit with raising money at the start, helped with the branding, but I didn't really see it as something. I remember we were talking about doing something after WB Curve because I was thinking when I sold that, I didn't have anything to do, but that, <laughs> yeah, that changed pretty quick. <laughs> And so I remember reading one of your blog posts years ago where you're looking or you're comparing all of these different kinds of business models. And that was where you were talking about the productized service business model yeah. and advantages of that compared to memberships and products. And so where did you see Black Ops fitting in with these business models? And what made you, you talked about the scale potential. How did you decide or at what point did you decide, okay, I want to go into this full time and this has actually got growth potential? And how were you looking at that compared to all of the other business models and options that you have? Yeah. Well, it's not the most appealing business model. It's, you know, like those, those things were all like, what's the best way you can possibly make money out of a business? And it was like, well, if you can build software and you can scale it infinitely and you can do it with a small team, then you can be profitable, you can be scalable. It's a really, really good business model. Services was harder because, you know, as you know, services are quite hard. But productized services, there's, there's a bit more scale in that than normal services. There's benefits because you can start them easy, easy and you can do them without investment and that kind of stuff. Physical manufacturing business is not in that list. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I've always been, I mean, I've started lots of things, but most of them haven't worked. And w- when I start something and it does work, that's, that's a better thing for me than something hypothetical that may or may not work probably won't. So that was more the case with this. It was, it was a lot of fun as a challenge, but also it was getting a huge amount of traction. So this was working. And also it kind of surprised myself. I really enjoy working in a physical business. And I, I honestly, I don't think I could, I definitely wouldn't want to go back to working purely online by myself, but even managing a remote team or working remotely, I have no interest in doing that now that I've, I'm back working in a physical business. It's much better. But having said that, with your situation where you've got both, that's still an option, but I definitely surprised myself with starting a physical business and realized actually this is a lot more fun than sitting at a desk by myself in my undies. <laughs> <laughs> as appealing as that makes as sounds when people talk about it, I did it for seven years and it really wasn't all that much fun. Given that we work in the same office, I can see the kind of team environment that you can create when you've got people all in the one room and the events that you can go to together, yeah. the drinks that you can have. Yeah. Working at a, a brewery. Yeah. Well, that has pros and cons. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to talk about that a little bit more and compare what it was like running WP Curve and what your role was there and then how it's different with Black Ops and what your role is in Black Ops. Yeah. Well, WP Curve, like I started it and it sort of took off and that was, it was an amazing 
time for me because I'd never really started anything before that had gone well. And there was a lot of people around that, mostly online people that were kind of, you know, reading about it and learning about it and excited about it. The fact that this was working, it was a little bit different. That was all very exciting. But the actual running of the business didn't actually really interest me at all. Like I had Alex, which was really lucky, which I think he's still doing stuff in productized services. Um, did you tell me that the other day? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So that's cool. But he, he was basically running the team and he enjoyed doing that. I didn't really. I just, it was a remote team. I liked doing the content, but even the content after a while sort of just became a little bit, you're kind of just sitting there writing blog posts. So I didn't actually really enjoy it all that much. I, I enjoyed the fact that it was going well. And the process of selling it was really interesting and something that I'm really fortunate to be part of because a lot of entrepreneurs don't get to experience that. But running this business is like my whole life now, other than my kids. But <laughs> this is just like a whole new thing. It's like, it's all encompassing and it's just nonstop. And I'm interested in the team side of things. So I had been, I didn't know exactly what your role was with WP Curve. I knew you did a lot of content and I knew Alex was mainly looking after the team. Yeah. And I see at Black Ops that you're managing a whole lot of different people. There's a lot going on. And so had you managed people before? So prior to WP Curve, what are your views on building a team that's fun and that yeah. is effective? Well, I actually, my degree that I did at university was HR, which was only just a bit of a fluke because I did, I've told the story before, but I, I enjoy telling it because I did marketing and I failed the first subject. I was enrolled in marketing. I failed the first subject. And at uni, they have a thing where if you fail, but you don't fail too bad, you can count it if that's not your major. So, <laughs> so I changed majors. So that counted. So I didn't have to do the subject again. Anyway, I changed to HR purely because in that first year of uni, I got like twos for everything and I got a seven for HR just because it was easy. Just like you read the book and this is how to hire people. All right. And it doesn't seem that complicated. I was doing like maths ones that were really hard and HR was it's just so easy. So I was not a people person. It was a stupid move to do HR. But anyway, I finished the degree somehow. So I did have some sort of background in HR. My first job was in HR. I worked in HR for various sort of ways for three or four years. Basically, my career was HR until I turned it into IT. I had, yeah, I, I, don't, I didn't really manage that many people. I had a, in my agency, I had a designer that worked for me, developer that worked for me at work. I'm trying to think. Not really. Like I, I didn't really have people at, when I worked for the government. I kind of did my own thing. But yeah, I think we're in a good position at Black Ops where like, we've got just an amazing team. We're very lucky. Like, we could say that it's because of our brilliance, but there's a lot of luck. Like Our first hire was Raylo, who just turned out to be an absolute gun. He hired Ali, who just completely changed the face of our business. We had people like Leah just rock up to work casual, just out of the blue, who ends up like basically running the whole place. You know? So we're, we're very, very lucky. We're an industry that's a really fun industry to be part of. It's, it's a really rare sort of industry. Like everyone is really close and everyone's having a lot of fun. It's competitive, but a lot of people want to work here. It's something we're conscious of, but I don't think it's necessarily purely by design. I think there's a bit of luck in there and we want to make it a great place to work. And if people aren't, you know, you know there's a lot of hard decisions definitely made as well, but I think it's just a fun industry and business to work for. It's a growing business. It's an exciting brand. That all helps enormously. Like that's not something you can write in a policy. It's just by design, it's a good place to work. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff you can do. I think, think getting rid of people who aren't part of the culture is definitely a huge one because one person can completely f up a culture. And that's- Have you had an experience like that? And is it yeah. hard? So do you, the books and everything say, oh, we've got to cut it off early, but it can be hard. Sometimes you know straight away, but have you had anywhere it's kind of in the middle? So we're not quite sure. Plenty. Yeah, we have, we have lots of- 
lots of those things happening. Yeah. yeah. And it's normally me that has to <laughs> deal with it. So yeah, it's, those decisions are really hard because it's someone's, it's someone's livelihood, but at the same time, it's everyone else's livelihood that's here mm. if they're not being a good part of the team and they're, they're dragging it down for everyone else. Mm. So those things are hard, but you just know they're necessary. And once you have a brand that is employing sort of 20, 30 people and it's got 500 investors and, you know, they're bought in at a certain valuation, like you have to change the way you do things. You can't just hire dickheads and behave like a dickhead. We've had a lot of hard lessons like that. But once, once something's worth, I think, becomes serious enough and valuable enough, like we've got an advisory board now and like I rock up to these board meetings now and like present to them and it's like, <laughs> this is so much different than back in the day. I still wear my undies, but <laughs> <laughs> that stuff can be really challenging. Just constantly trying to think of ways to keep staff happy. We do things like a staff custom beer after a year where we get like something designed and I do all of that, like work with the designer to do that myself. Sometimes it doesn't go very well, but generally people like it. We do like staff retreats where we'll have the team go off to other breweries and do tours and stuff like that or something that's not related to brewing. We do like Christmas party and things like that. We try to, try to be flexible, but it's just a crazy business. There's so much work to do. All those things we try to do, but I think the biggest thing is it's just a fun brand to work for and it's an exciting place to be. So there's a couple of things I want to ask related to that. So one is building a sales team because I mm-hmm. think with WP Curve, it was more around content that was- Yeah, I've things. never had to sell anything in my life. So yeah. <laughs> so ha- And are you the manager of the sales team yeah. at the moment? So how did yeah. you go from not having done sales before to leading a team of salespeople? Yeah, actually that is a lie. I have done sales before. My first job was door-to-door sales and I lasted about six months. It was horrendous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's been really hard. I mean, I guess like with a business like this, you've got three founders. All of these sort of areas have to go through to somebody and it's sort of, well, who makes the most sense? It's not who's awesome at this, it's who's the least bad at it. (laughs) So in our case, when I was sort of part-time Eddie, well, actually when we started, the idea was Eddie would do sales and I would do sort of online content and marketing and Govs would do the making of the beer and I would do like business, businessy sort of stuff of which I thought there wouldn't be all that much because it was just a fun thing. But it turns out after three years, there's a hell of a lot of businessy stuff. And so a year ago, we, we changed our roles. I took up the role of CEO, Gov's just head brewer. His was obvious. And Eddie um, into operations. And I also look after the sales and marketing, which at some point we just figured out, like at the start, Eddie was doing sales. We hired a sales guy and he was doing social media and I was just basically writing blog posts. But it got to the point where it was like, actually Eddie's skills are really... Like we didn't really even know this when we started, but it turns out he's really, really good at operations. Like he's really, really good at just knowing everything that's happening all the time. And me and Govs are not really that way as much. So it turns out he was really good at ops. So he, he just fit into that really, really well. And production, he's pretty hands-on with production, scheduling and recipe ideas and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, well, I'll just be CEO because... I know neither of you guys want to do it, so <laughs> I'll just do it. And the sales made sense as well. I was looking after marketing. Eddie really didn't want to have anything to do with sales. And we employed sales guys, but I just, I've been working on the right structure to, we kind of employed, we had Raylo who was our sales manager and we had Kernsey who came on as an experienced sales manager. And we've just been working on the right structure to get that going. We also have one of our investors, Simpo, who's our first investor who runs sales teams as his job like call center type, like full hardcore sales teams. So he's helped me a lot. We've just done heaps of work to try to work out all the processes and the CRM to use and the targets and the incentives and 
the deals and there's just so much that goes into it. Like in this business, it's making good beer and it's selling the beer. And there's like everything else is kind of just catching up to that. It's so important. But yeah, there's been lots I've had to learn for that. And so when you're learning something new like that, where do you go? Are you talking to people? Are you reading books? Are you, how do you go about going from, okay, you've had a bit of sales experience. So now you've got a full sales team and you need to create those commission structures and and figure out how to make that work well. Yeah. Kernsey has been in sales forever. So he's been a huge helper in terms of learning how all this stuff works. Like I didn't know anything about this kind of sales before, like all these words that he used, I was like, well, I've no idea what you're talking about, like on-prem and in trade. And I'm like, what does that mean? I don't even know what that means. I'm like, I need to know these words. (laughs) (laughs) So so talking to him, he's been with us a couple of years. So that's, I've learned a lot from him. Raylo um, used to be in hospital. I I knew nothing about hospital either. And and that's half of our business. So Raylo used to manage bars. So all this stuff, I'm still learning from Raylo. Like we went to a bar the other day and like the guy gave us shots because that's what they do. It's like, Jesus Christ, I'm driving. Just don't. And like Raylo's like, you didn't hit the shot down on the bar before you had it. I'm like, well, am I supposed to know you're supposed to do that? And he's like, "Eh, it's just a hospital thing. All right. So I'm just learning all all that kind of stuff you need to know. Also our investor, Simpo, I I sit down with him all the time and I'm just like, man, this isn't working. How do I do this? How do you do it? And the the good thing about those conversations is his sales team is really just like a black and white, you know, like they cold sell advertising. So he has like 10 guys in in a room he knows exactly how many calls they have to make to sell a certain amount of ads. If someone's not selling those, he knows how to incentivize them. He knows when to fire them. He knows when to get someone else. It's just, it sounds perfect. <laughs> <laughs> in, in our team, there's a lot more nuance to it. So there's, a, there's personalities and there's relationships and there's, you know, some, Kernsey has a whole range of amazing skills that Raylo doesn't have and vice versa. Someone's got to manage that, you know, you got to incentivize it, but it can't be as black and white as that because these guys are hard to find, like sales reps who are really good at selling beer are hard to find. And they're also not just selling the beer, they're upholding the brand, which is more important to me than anything. So there's a lot of conversations you can have where you can be like, okay, well, I can't do that, but I can learn a little bit from that and we can try it. And there's a lot of trial and error. Books, not really, like I'm not actually generally doing the selling. So I think if I was like, I was, I would probably dig into the sales books and see what we can do. But these days, it's more just about relying. Like we've got sort of a small budget to pay people to do stuff for us, like online sales, for example. I'm doing some stuff with that. And these days, it's just finding someone who can do it and they can convince me that they're good at it. I'm not going to read a book on it. I don't have time. (laughs) And plus, I don't really read books. So related to that, what does your day-to-day look like? Because there's so even though you've got the two co-founders, there's still so many different elements to your role. There's the sales team that there's finances, looking after investors. Yeah. How do you know each day what you're working on and where to focus? Oh God, that's a good question. When we started, we put $2,000 in, me and Eddie, and Gov's put a bunch of equipment in and we're like, okay, sweet. This is a three-way partnership. We're, we're, like, we're, like, we're good to go. Since then, we've had to raise over $4 million. We've had, I think, six funding rounds, an equity crowdfunding round, asset finance with the bank, invoice finance with the bank. I've had to manage all of that. So for the most part, my time is spent making sure we've got enough money, which has been really, really hard. But once, you know, in those brief moments where we feel like we do have enough money, <laughs> I can spend time doing some of the other stuff. A lot of it is a lot of sales, a lot of meetings now, a lot of sales meetings, marketing, like preparing for sales launches. I still spend a, probably too much time in graphic design apps because I can do it. I've trained Leah up to do some of it, but I can do 
a lot more. And, and you're quite specific about I design. am very specific <laughs> about what I want. So we do have designers, but sometimes it's like we need something today. And so I'll do it. Oh God, there's just so much. I don't know. I wish I could tell you I was really organized and I had some hacks to get organized. I'm just not. I come in, I often work pretty late at night. I'll sort of work during the day because I have kids as well. If I have kids that week, I'll, the afternoon's just a write-off and then I'll come back in later at night and just work out, do anything from writing articles or planning launches or thinking about the design of labels that we're going to do, events we're going to do. I still basically oversee all the design with external designers mostly, but do some myself too. So there's, there's a whole lot that goes into that. We're doing a beer or two every single week. And ideally with a nice full wrap can design, which we're trying to do more of to make it more appealing for people. So there's, there's, there's always <laughs> loads of work to do. It was so funny comparing that to WP Curve, where I'm sure you were gradually reducing your hours there as you systemized things and as you had someone looking after content. So it seems quite different in terms of what's involved in, in running the businesses, but it seems like you love it. If I Yeah, I, I do. It's really, it's really good. Like I'm sort of, I'm able to do some of the stuff I really like, which is like the design and marketing stuff. The CEO stuff, the business side is really good too. I kind of feel like in, back in the day, I was sort of making up stuff for, for me to do. Like this business needs certain done. And if we don't have the people to do it, I like, like I have to do it. And, and it's exactly the same as in other parts of the business. Like if Govs has something to do with production, some kind of beer, like we're doing an avocado beer at the moment. He's never brewed a beer with avocado, but there's no one else around here that's going to help him do it. It's, he just has to figure out how to do it. And same as Eddie, like we've got a pallet of beer that needs to go to Townsville tomorrow. I, if he asked me, I wouldn't have a clue. I don't know how to get beer to Townsville. So no one else here does. Like no one else here was in distribution and operations. So he has to figure out how to do it. And that's yeah. part of the fun, especially if you're fortunate enough to be in an area where what you're figuring out is actually fun for you. Like if it's, if it's not, if, it's, if you're having to figure out sales and you hate sales, that's what I didn't like about working for yourself. You have to mm. do a lot of that you don't enjoy. But once, once you get to a certain size, you can sort of focus more on the stuff that you do enjoy. Yeah. So you work with a founder, a co-founder at WP Curve, and you've got co-founders at Black Ops as well. Yeah. And it looks like in both cases, these relationships have worked well. You went through an exit with Alex and you, Eddie and Govs, are still, you've been in business together for a number of years now. And it, again, it looks like it's going well. Yeah. What are some of the things you do to make sure those relationships do work well for the long term? Yeah, Alex and I had definitely had our ups and downs, but like we didn't really know each other that well and we didn't actually work physically together. So that's really, really difficult. I don't really know how, I don't think we could have kept doing it for that long. And I don't really know how um, other people do it in that example, because you, you, you need to be around each other. Like the online communication can just turn nasty really quick. Like we have it with Slack, with Black Ops, like we'll be in the founders channel and we'll be sending messages and it's like, oh, this is actually not that useful. Like, let's just talk in person. When you talk in person, you just sort it all out. It's all good. So you got to be careful how much you communicate online. I think it can be really detrimental to relationships. What else do we do to keep it good? It's got a lot to do with the personalities. I think we kind of respect each other's skills, try not to overstep the mark, but also call each other out if, you know, if we, if we think that's a fine, do better. Yeah. That's it's quite a balance between, especially if you've got different areas of responsibility and then there's kind of gaps maybe where it wasn't clear where something fits in yeah. those responsibilities or if someone, it's not your area of responsibility, but you've got a different opinion about yeah. how it would be done. How do you, have you got any examples of situations like that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, like the other night we had a, we had a meeting about whether we should brew this particular beer for this customer and we sort of sat around 
And me and Gus said, oh, yeah, let's do it. And Eddie kind of said, kind of nod his head. That sort of happens. And then, and then afterwards, Eddie sort of thought, no, actually, I don't, want, I don't want to do this and let us know on Slack. And then I was like, well, you we should have let us know in the meeting. And then he was like, well, I need more time to think about it. And so that stuff happens all the time. It happens to me too. I change my mind all the time because I'll do the opposite of that. Eddie will do the, okay, fine, let's do that. But then think about it change, and, and think, no, actually, my opinion is different. Whereas I'll be like, yeah, let's do it like all the time. I always like new shit. And then I'll be like, wait, let's do this. So it's good. I think it's good to have, it's not just the founders either. It's a lot of the staff have a big role in that too. Like Leah keeps me in line uh, quite a bit, which is not on her job description, but that's important because otherwise it wouldn't really work. I think the balance of the individual people matter a lot too. I think we're probably a little bit lucky in that we're not sort of like we're all mates, but we're not kind of hanging out all the time away from work. We're just, we kind of come into our thing. But yeah, we're, I think we're, we're also very different, like got very different skills, which is useful. I think if we're all kind of brewers or business people or marketing people, it would probably get really messy. It's worked out. It's challenging. So far, there hasn't been anything major in that regard. I'd say other parts of the business have been more challenging. Yeah. But choosing the right people is a, a huge, huge part of it. And you talked a little bit earlier about all of the different forms of capital or financing that mm-hmm. you've raised. And I, I talked about some of them, not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> We've done all of them. <laughs> so do you have any insights to share, say someone else is wanting to go about raising capital? Yeah. It's probably different if they're not in a physical business, some of the other forms of financing that you talked about. But I think yeah. the crowdfunding is quite interesting and maybe you could talk through some of what you've learned there, some of the challenges related to that, how it all went. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, Paul Kitt, who does our beer software, he's got a company called Fifth Ingredient that does Beer 30, which is our production software. He messaged me last night after listening to a podcast I did and asked if we'd ever thought about raising money at WP Curve. And I didn't even know how to. Like I, wouldn't, like I was working in a co-working space around the startup-y sort of ecosystem. I would not have had any clue how to raise money. I still don't really. It's just <laughs> raised four million dollars. Yeah, I, I just don't. I still don't fully understand how it works. I, but I, I know in in this case we needed to, like the business would not be here if we didn't. So that's just a no brainer. With WP Curve, we never needed to. So it was kind of like, oh, it might be cool to raise money. And then by the end, as the growth started tapering off, we sort of thought maybe we needed to raise money to do something like a marketplace, like something mm-hmm. we couldn't actually afford to build ourselves and get like really into that startup ecosystem. But that's hard on the Gold Coast. There's just not, I would have had to go over to America and spend a lot of time over there, I think, because there's just, I don't see any evidence of that kind of existing here. Like it's a lot of people talking about startups, but I don't know. I didn't see a whole lot of evidence of actual real startup ecosystem with investors and rounds and incubators. Like I tried to be part of all of that and I just didn't see anything that looked legit to me. But with Black Ops, we needed a lot of money. There's just no, well, actually we could have brewed at another site. That's how you could do it without a lot of money. But there's downsides to that. We wanted to build a brewery. So once we decided to do that, we needed to raise money. So we've, yeah, we've done everything from just normal crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding, credit cards, overdrafts, bank guarantees for leases, uh, which isn't really finance, but that's another banking thing that I've learned about. Friends and family investment rounds, founders putting money in, asset finance through big bank, invoice finance through a big bank, convertible notes through some of our investors. Equity crowdfunding. I don't know if I said that one. Probably other things I can't even think of right now, like pre-selling is another form of finance, like pre-selling merch because we couldn't afford to buy it. 
And you said that you did this because you had to, yeah. the business wouldn't be here. So what does that feel like from a stress level point of view? Not good. Knowing, <laughs> <laughs> knowing that you have to raise this money. Awful. Like there's, yeah, I mean, there was so many times. Like we did what was just stupidly risky. Like I've written about this in my book. Like I don't, maybe you could do this without taking these kind of risks, but I don't know how to. Like I don't know how you get two dudes with $2,000 to build a $4 million enterprise without taking risks. Because you have to sell the story too. Like, like you can't just go in all these rounds when we've really needed the money, but we didn't have a good story to tell. They've been the hardest ones. We've been, mm. I feel like we've been lucky so many times. We've just got to the end of it, somehow found an investor, somehow convinced them to invest and we've gotten it over line. But the times when we had a really good story to tell, the raising money was much easier. The example I can think of is, so we've got two breweries. The first one that we're sitting at right now was getting to capacity the end of last year. And plan was always to build a bigger one, but it was like, well, how big and how are we going to afford it? So we found another warehouse 35 minutes up the road that was probably five times as big as this one. The rent's like, I don't know, $200,000 a year and it's a five plus five plus five year lease. So you're signing up to at the very least a million dollars, but then we needed $2 million worth of equipment. So like when we signed that lease, we had no money the business wasn't profitable. We knew we needed $3 million and then it was my job to get that money. <laughs> so yeah, it was stressful. But yeah, I don't know how else you'd do it because we, we so had a cool story to tell at that point. What story did you tell? And so was that when you had a good story or you didn't have a good yeah, story? Well, yeah, because we'd committed by that point yeah. and it was like, well, we're in, we're doing this, come along with us yeah. or, or not. But if you're not in, I'm going to move on. I'm going to find someone else and we're going to find enough people to back us to do this. And people like that, like people like the fact that you guys are going big. This is a big brewery you're building. I think the new brewery ha- has the potential to do like 10 times, 10 or more times the capacity of this mm-hmm. one. One of the biggest in Queensland, as far as independent brewery goes, breweries go. Um, it was a cool story to tell. And that helped a lot with selling to investors, to selling to the banks, even just to selling beer to some of the major retailers, to crowdfunding. Like the crowdfunding was like, we're going to be the first company in Australia to raise money to build a brewery on crowdfunding. We're going to be the first to hit our maximum target out of anyone in Australia. And we're going to use the funds to build one of the biggest independent breweries in Queensland. And this is the site. This is what it looks like. It's empty. We're doing this. Are you coming or not? <laughs> that was really powerful. So we're able to get, I think, I think what we tried to, we needed $3 million. We ended up getting 1.7 from investors in about a week or two, about a month, I think. We got the 400K in the crowdfunding in six days when we did that. And then the day before we opened where we just had bills piling up and piling up because we were like $800,000 short, we got $800,000 equipment finance from the bank. And the idea of that finance is you use that to buy equipment. But we had the equipment sitting there ready to be turned on that we'd use the investor's money to buy. And we needed that money just to pay the remaining invoices on the project. And that was the day before we did our soft launch. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I don't <laughs> I know. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't write this in a business book. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of sleepless nights. There's a lot of times where I've thought we're going to lose everything. A lot of times. Mm. Yeah, at the moment, I feel pretty good. We've had a pretty good run. The growth's been really strong this year. Like we had to basically double the If we didn't double the business this year, we'd be out of business. That was our challenge. And double the business without a huge amount of extra staff. We're on track to do that. So. That, like that's setting, a nice feeling. <laughs> setting challenges for yourself. So just on that one, the, yeah. the downside is if we didn't go really big, we'd just get caught in this situation again, not too far from here. So we would end up with two breweries. We'd be hitting 
peak production and then we'd have to somehow figure out how to build a bigger one and a bigger one than the second one would probably be a 10 million dollar brewery a lot of companies get into that problem and can't get that money and end up having to sell and we figured if we can get this one jump to this big site now we can grow there for a lot of years and build something super super valuable and if we can make it work if we do end up selling it'll be worth way more than than a three-year-old company that's not quite hitting scale yeah and so what how do you look at the next say five years so it sounds like you hit scale and then it becomes profitable when you get to a certain size. Yeah. And at some point there might be an exit. But how do you plan for that or how do you look at the next five years? Well, I don't particularly want there to be an exit in terms of like selling the business, but I'm only one of 500 shareholders at Black Ops now. So it won't be purely my choice. While the founders have the majority, it'll sort of be our choice. But I like the idea of working here for as long as we can and building something valuable over time. And if we can do it profitably and pay ourselves a decent wage and have a good living, that's perfect for me. I'm not particularly excited about selling, getting a bunch of money and then again, trying to start from scratch and what do I do then? So that's for me personally. But at the same time, I always think you've got to build something valuable. And that's something that doesn't get talked about enough in the online space. It's always about like how to make money, but there's so many benefits to building something valuable. Like the only reason we've been able to build something more valuable is because what we have is valuable to start with. And that's why people want to invest in it. That's why people want to work for us. That's why brands want to stock us because they, they see our brand and they, they value it. If one day the business is worth a lot of money, then that can't be a bad thing. To me, if someone wants to buy it for loads of money and we have to sell and I don't want to, I mean, that's not the worst problem to have, is it? Yeah. But yeah, personally, I, I would prefer to keep it and keep growing it. It's really hard to do though. There's not many companies in Australia who've been able to build a brewery and hold on to it. Most of them get to our size to probably twice as big as what we are and either have to sell or just want to sell for various reasons. There's not too many I can think of who've gotten much bigger than that that haven't sold. Stone and Wood is a, is a great example. They're very independent. Coopers have been around for a million years. So I, I mean, their story is amazing, but it's not really relevant to us in terms of the, the current craft beer boom. Even Stone and Wood, they started 10 years ago. It was very different back then. And they're, they're not a result of the craft beer boom. They're just sort of like a company making great product. But they're a bit of an inspiration having that 10-year life cycle, very, uh, still profitable, still growing, very, very big you know, for a craft brewery and haven't, haven't had to sell yet. Gage Road have listed on the stock exchange, which is something that's interesting to me. But there's not too many others who are independent who are sort of getting towards anywhere near that size who haven't had to sell. So one final question before we wrap up. If you were talking to someone that was just about to start down their path of their first business. I don't talk to those plebs anymore. I'm too important. <laughs> I tell them to get in line, book an book a appointment with my secretary. <laughs> what kind of business would you, because you've seen all kinds of different business models yeah. now. What kind of business or how would you recommend they think about deciding what their first business should be? Your first business, I think, always should be something where you're going to get immediate feedback from the customer on whether or not they want to pay for what you're doing. I think for a first business, like I think services is a no-brainer. Would you recommend a brewery for a first business or do you need some experience first? No, I don't think I'd recommend a brewery <laughs> for any business. <laughs> I think services is a great, great way to get into business. You know, I quit my job and I hadn't built websites before. And the, the day I started, I put up a website saying, I know how to build websites, who wants one? And you know, from day one, I was selling something and someone was paying for it and I was learning and that was perfect. 
after that point, it becomes about like, what are your ambitions? I think there's a lot, you know, I, I sort of think back to when I had WP Curve. It, towards the end, it was a really good business. We were paying ourselves really nicely, weren't having to do a whole lot of work. I almost look back at that and think, like, I was earning way more money then. It was nice. But I've always wanted to build something bigger. I don't really know why. I don't really know what purpose. I don't, it's not, I don't think it's really about selling and making a lot of money because I don't particularly think there's anything out there that I want to spend money on that I don't really already have, to be honest. But I always want to build something bigger and valuable and I'm prepared to take the risk to do that. But not everyone wants to do that. So I think if you did want to do that, you've got to build something that can potentially be a big company. Software is good if you can do it, but it's just a nightmare. I've, I've never been able to do it. It's just so difficult. Manufacturing is just so hard. I, I don't know. It's, it's, just, it's just tough. But, but I've always sort of more like not thought about the business model that much, at least these days, more thought about what's, what's getting traction. Yeah. Like I didn't really think of Black Ops as this is a good business model. It was just like, well, this is exploding. So I'll be part of it. But yeah, I think um, services are good. If you can somehow productize them, it's good. But there's compromises with that too. Like there's, you know, if you want to focus on only recurring revenue, you're leaving a lot of revenue on the table. You're adding in some consistency. It, it makes some things a lot easier, but it makes probably profits a bit lower. And it changes a lot about what you do. It means you have to say no to a lot of stuff. I think you need to, I think you need to be more focused on sales because selling something recurring is quite difficult. And if you don't want to do that, you know, that might not suit you. So I think it's more, it's more what suits you and what you want to do. I would say be careful doing a business by yourself always, even if it's your first one, probably especially if it's your first one. It's just so hard, just the whole headspace you have to be in, just the burden you have to take on. Even if it's a small business, like, I, that, like in my first business when I was just have services, that was when I was probably the most stressed because I wasn't making enough money. I've kind of felt like a failure. We ended up having kids and trying to raise kids with not enough money. It was a nightmare. Mm. So even then, I think it, it just would have been easier to have someone, another business partner. It wouldn't be easy to have the wrong business partner though. Yeah. But yeah, I think you, that kind of stuff I'd be thinking about more than the actual business model, I think. Yeah. yeah, I also think that services are a great way to start out. I When I have been involved with the startup community, sometimes people with their first business are trying to build a really hard kind of business like yeah. software. Yeah really scale it without a network, without money and without experience. Yeah, it's just, it's not going to happen. It's just not. This maybe your fifth business model or your, or, your, or your fifth business or your third business, but mm. building some of those skills, that's been my own experience in doing consulting first and just learning how to sell and learning how to manage people yeah. and learning how to build a brand first and then trying some of where money's coming in immediately. Yeah, you get that immediate real feedback, not just the bullshit of, oh, this is a cool idea. But the software is just, I think, what a lot of people don't understand is most software companies are started in an area where they've got an ecosystem designed to build software companies. They're started with a number of founders. Normally one is a genius coder. Normally one is a genius marketer. If not, they've got the budgets and the investment to give up equity and good salaries to designers and marketers and coders. And normally they've done three or four businesses that have drastically failed and they've lost loads of money. These things tend not to get started by just like individuals rocking up to startup weekend. It just, <laughs> it just doesn't happen. So like that, I think that can be just such an enormous distraction. And I was, I was really pulled into that as well. Cause I, I love the idea of having a software company. I always wanted to mm. build a software app because I could just see as a business model, it was so appealing, but I think it's really rare for software companies to be built by people like me in those situations. So you kind of just end up getting distracted with all this startup noise and it's just not good for anybody, I don't think. Not to say it's impossible. I mean, any, building any business is very difficult, but 
the service is good because you can you can offer it, you get rejected or get accepted. You just know straight away. Like what people paying you or not paying you or referring you is perfect feedback. But someone giving you feedback on your pitch and telling you what logo to use and you know that is not useful. It's just not. Well, Dan, it's been awesome. Thanks so so much for coming on. No worries. We should do this more often. Yeah. Every week we can just talk <laughs> about stuff. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Meryl. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Bean Ninjas podcast. Here are three ways to grow your freedom business faster. Number one, download our free zero small business toolkit. Go to beanninjas.com forward slash podcast gift and use our cash flow forecasting template as well as the other resources available. Number two, subscribe to this podcast. Don't miss another episode as we'll be bringing you more inspiring guests, small business finance and zero tips, and also an inside look at how we are growing Bean Ninjas into a global brand. Finally, they say the best way to retain what you learn is to share or teach what you've learned with someone else. So leave a review on iTunes with your key takeaway from this episode. Alternatively, you could also post and share this podcast on social media. Be sure to tag us at Bean Ninjas or use hashtag Bean Ninjas on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. This will help us to grow our community and help even more small business owners to create freedom through stress-free finances. So once again, download, subscribe, and share. That link again, beanninjas.com forward slash podcast gift. Catch you on the next episode.